amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening to Killer Queens. Or KQ if you're nasty. Welcome to the show where two 90s loving country chicks gab about true crime and tell each other to talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. I'm Torella. And I'm Tori. And we're sisters who have always loved true crime and decided to turn that obsession into a show with a light take on the topic. Kind of like diet true crime, it's all the flavor and fewer calories. Mm. Now with our show, you'll get true crime, 90s nostalgia, and a few four-letter words sprinkled in. Because I always say that Polly Pockets and true crime go together like peas and carrots. Be sure to check out our case submission form on our website at killerqueenspodcast.com and follow us on social media and YouTube. Now grab your Surge, your 3D Cool Ranch Doritos, and your kitten surprise, and let's get into the episode. The trigger warnings are as follows. Child murder, child abuse, and one that I didn't think we'd have to ever use, uh, weird photos with feces in them. And if that if that was only it. I wish. Yeah. I wish. On November 18th, 2012, Elaine Hall dropped her 13-year-old son Dylan off at the airport to head to a court-appointed stay with his father in Durango, Colorado. She didn't realize that would be the last time she ever saw him. Less than 24 hours after Dylan arrived at his father's house, he was reported missing. From the moment his father texted Elaine to tell her that he was missing, Elaine and the rest of her family knew that her ex-husband was behind his disappearance. Years passed before the family was able to find any closure, which included everyone finding out the shocking discovery that could have given him the reason to murder his son. Hey, you guys, welcome to Killer Queens. If you've never been here before, we want to give you just a little information about how the show is set up and what it's meant to accomplish. If you have been here before, welcome back. You can just use that handy skip ahead feature here if you want to. We want to give a message to friends and family of the victims. We know that there may be someone involved in the case who might listen one day, and we want you to know that our intention is to only bring awareness to this case. And while we do use personal stories in some instances and our own humor in order to tell the story in a way that listeners can relate, we have the utmost respect for victims and their families. We created Killer Queens to be a place where we can have open discussions about cases just like you would with friends. We are not investigators. We use information that is available to the public, such as documentaries, case files, and media coverage. Using this information, we intend to tell the story of what happened in each case that we cover. Now, will you agree with our interpretations or conclusions of each case? Well, heck no. Mm Mm-mm. We each approach cases from different perspectives, life experiences, and beliefs that we already have in place. And sometimes these differences are slight, yet they can be wide enough to cause divide and upset some of those listening. We do our best to present the facts as we find them in our research, but we do bring our own perspectives to the case. We understand that you will too. We want you to know that this is a safe space to discuss differences in opinions in a civilized manner. Our style may not be your personal preference, and if that's the case, we know you'll be able to find one of the many other shows out there to tell the story the way you want to hear it. We can be grown-ups about it if you can. Now, 
If we are your cup of tea and you want even more KQ, you can join our Patreon and get access to our entire catalog of episodes ad-free and access to bonus episodes too. And I'll give you just a little hint if you're an ad skipper, um, but you still want the deals that we have from our sponsors each week, you can scroll down to the show notes and see what coupons we have available for you right down there. But you didn't hear it from us. Mm -mm, mm -mm, That's a pro tip, but I'll deny ever sharing it. Right. So all that being said, let's get into the story. Hello, hello. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Welcome to Killer Queens. It's the show where everything's made up and the points don't matter. Oh, man. If only. Right. If only we had sweet Colin. What was his name? Like forgetting it all of a sudden. Or. Ryan Styles. Ryan Styles. Colin. Yep. Oh, somebody's yelling it. Yeah. Yeah. You guys know him. Mm-hmm. Man, what a dynamic duo they were. I know. Yeah. All right. Guys, this episode is wild. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's pretty wild. We do want to thank Madison yes. for writing this up. We also do want to thank whoever requested it Mm -hmm. but we don't know exactly who that person is we can't find it it was somewhere and now we can't find where it came in so so if it was you and you want to be thanked because we want to Mm -hmm. let us know send us a message and we'll we'll thank you on a separate on a separate occasion for sure Mm -hmm. okay um let's have a window open scale i would rate it burn the house down If you had to rate it, Tori, what would it be? I don't want any windows left in this house. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's like a furniture closing sale. Mm-mm, Everything mm-mm, must go. Mm-mm. Everything's got to go. Yes. Everything's got to go because the so, audacity. Yeah. Everything must go. Liquidation. Full. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Dylan Nicholas Redwine was born on February 6, 1999 in Denver, Colorado to Elaine Hatfield and Mark Redwine. Mark and Elaine were married for 18 years before divorcing. In addition to Dylan, Mark and Elaine had an older son, Corey. Now, Dylan and Corey were seven years apart, but they were still very close. Corey often drove his brother to and from school and sports practice. In 2009, Elaine met Mike Hall, who was quick to become a father figure to the boys in their father's absence. And they do get married as well. Dylan was described by those who knew him as a very funny, very bright boy. He loved to play practical jokes. He loved his Xbox. He loved being outdoors. He was said to have a great arm that could throw a perfect spiral football and throw a baseball from the outfield to the bases with no problem. He had a cannon. I can get a baseball from me to right over there. Slight problems. Yeah. So it's pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. It's very fancy. Uh, He was a very fast runner. He loved playing basketball, too. Uh, Some described his basketball moves as being like the Globetrotters. That's fancy footwork. His favorite baseball team was the Boston Red Sox, which he initially picked because they were his favorite colors. He always challenged his big brother to bets about different sporting events, and then the loser would have to do the other's chores. That's something I can get behind. I really enjoy that. Yeah, that's pretty fun. While Dylan was a goofball and could make everyone laugh, he hated having his picture taken. 
Um, friends also said that he had a very high-pitched giggle that when it started, everybody around him would start laughing too. You couldn't hear it without bursting into laughter yourself. Uh, an infectious laugh. Yes. His mother said he was really empathetic. He was always worried about others' feelings. He hated hearing people say bad things about his friends or family, and he would immediately defend them. After the divorce, Elaine moved herself and the two boys out of Durango, Colorado, and they moved over 300 miles away to Colorado Springs. And Dylan loved living there. He made friends really easily. Um, Some described him as being, quote, scrubbed in sunshine. I love that. That is the most precious thing I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was just no question that Dylan was full of energy, happiness, and love. And he was 13 years old. Mm -hmm. 13. Hey, you guys. um, It's us again. Yay, it's us. We threw, we threw you for a loop on this one. Uh, so we know that a lot of you have been asking like WTF, where are episodes one through 44? And guess what? Now you can have them. So let's just remember though, we need you to take a little caution here. We didn't know exactly what we were doing back then. And we started this podcast as just a fun thing to do as sisters. We had no idea that it would grow into this super awesome club with you guys. So what we're saying is the audio wasn't super amazing, but the content is 100% us just being us and talking about some true crime with 90s flair. Okay, so here are the details. You'll be able to access our what we're calling OG episodes in your favorite podcast app through a private and custom RSS feed link. So to grab that, head over to killerqueens.link slash OG and snag episodes one through 44 today. That's killerqueens.link slash OG. So on September 21st, 2012, Elaine and Mark attended a custody hearing in the, I'm going to say La Plata. Yeah. La Plata County Court of Durango, after a private investigation, it wasn't an investigation, it was a private conversation with the parents regarding Dylan, the judge granted Elaine full custody of the 13-year-old, but he approved a court-ordered trip for November, so Dylan was going to spend Thanksgiving with his father. Dylan's original flight was scheduled for November 17th, but it was canceled and rescheduled for the following day, which would have been the 18th. Dylan told one of his family members that he hadn't spoken to or seen his father since the custody hearing, and Dylan didn't have a great relationship with Mark. Corey, the older brother, described Mark as cruel and violent, which was the very, I mean, exact opposite of his little brother Dylan. Mm -hmm. Prior to the divorce, Mark had told Elaine that if she did, in fact, want a divorce, that things would get ugly. And Dylan wasn't shy about telling people that he was not looking forward to visiting his father. He'd pleaded with his mother to let him stay home, but Elaine couldn't let him skip the court-ordered visitation. Elaine's mom was suffering from cancer, and the family believed that it might be their last Thanksgiving with her. And Dylan was super close with his grandmother, and he wanted to stay with her, but he could not avoid this trip. On Sunday, November 18th, 2012, Elaine dropped Dylan off at the airport and gave him a hug. He boarded the plane to Durango, where his father was waiting for him. At 5.46 p.m., Dylan arrived at the Durango airport and was seen walking with his father on surveillance video. The interesting thing about this surveillance video, any that we see from the night that he arrived, Mm -hmm. they don't seem, this is not a warm welcome. This is not, I don't know how Mark was feeling, but I think it was pretty obvious from the video that Dylan was 100% not wanting to be there. 
they don't walk very closely with each other. It doesn't seem like they're they are close in any way. You know what I no. mean? Like they're certainly not happy to see each other. It's very much like like you would think. I mean, he says I haven't spoken to him in what over two months or whatever. Mm-hmm. You'd think at the very like maybe he is not excited to see his dad, but you'd think his dad would be like, "Hey, buddy, like give me a hug. I'm so excited to see you." Or I don't know something. Well, I mean, this is something that Mark had fought for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not like the judge yes. was like, well, you just really need to see your dad. And Mark is like, well, I don't really care, but, mm-hmm. you know, this is something that he pushed for. And then it doesn't really seem like he wanted him there in the first place. But at 7.05 p.m., Mark and Dylan went to Walmart and it was also caught on surveillance video. Elaine had texted her son asking if he had gotten to Durango and met his father. And Dylan texted back and said that he had and he included a frowny face. So obviously not happy. The two then went to the drive-thru at McDonald's, and later Mark said that he'd wanted to go to a sit-down restaurant, but Dylan didn't want to, which was annoying to Mark. Okay. Like, but you don't want to really spend time with him, so why do you care? Like, I know. And I would think there are probably things, you know, like when you plan a trip with somebody, for somebody, with somebody, whatever— you might have an idea or expectation of like, oh, we can do this and we can do this and we can do this. But at the end of the day, it's about your kid, right? So yeah. if he doesn't want to go, okay, we'll pivot. Like, th- I think that there were ways that Mark could have made the situation a little bit better, but he uh-huh. is, his feelings and his emotions and his pride are in the way and he doesn't give a shit. So he wants to do what he wants to do and that's annoying to him. So The only thing that excited Dylan about visiting Durango was that he would get to see some of his old friends. And he made plans to spend the night at his friend Ryan's house, but Mark told him that he couldn't. I mean, again, it's like disappointment after disappointment, right? Mm -hmm. So he texted Ryan to tell him that he couldn't come over, but they made plans for Dylan to be over at Ryan's house the next morning at 6.30 a.m. Dylan had sent a few more texts with his mom, but... All messages from Dylan stopped at seven or 9.37 p.m. And the last message that was sent at 9.37 was believed to be sent from his iPod Touch. The last message sent from his cell phone was shortly after he and Mark had arrived at Mark's house. At 7.30 a.m., Mark said that he tried to wake Dylan up to come with him to run errands, but Dylan wanted to stay in bed. Mark went to work, um, went to his work payroll office and his divorce attorney's office, and these visits were confirmed by investigators. He then returned at 11.30 a.m., and he found that Dylan was gone, and all of his belongings, everything was gone, as well as, Mark said, his fishing pole was gone. But apparently, Mark wasn't that worried about it. So he decided to lay down and take a nap until about 2.30 p.m. Hmm. If I couldn't find my son, that's what I would do. And it's not just that, because, I don't know, he's 13, he, let's say, he had wanted to go visit his friend. Let's say that maybe you think that maybe he did go, right? All of his stuff is gone, though. And mm-hmm. you're just like, oh, well, I'll just sleep and see what happens when I get up. Like, Yeah, and he's 13. He doesn't have a car. He can't drive. So it's not like you're like, oh, well, he probably just ran out to hang out with his friends or something. Well, right. And he later said that he believed that Dylan was out fishing or playing alone or at his friend's house. But the friend's house— was almost six miles away. It's a long way and, to walk with all of your belongings. Yeah, and this is, again, it's November in the mountains, and it's not an area, it's not like, it's not like you're like, oh, we've got a pond in the backyard. Maybe he went fishing, or we've got a pond just through the tree line there. Maybe he went fishing. 
This is a very, very rough terrain area that he'd have to get up to by himself. Mm-hmm. With all of his stuff, mind you. Mm-hmm. To go fishing. Right. Around 3 p.m., Mark started looking for his son, and he went to his friend's Dylan, or his, uh, Dylan's friend's house, excuse me, Tristan's house, but Tristan hadn't seen him. So at 4.10 p.m., Mark went to another friend of Dylan's, Nando's house. And Ryan was also at Nando's house, and they both told Mark that they had been trying to get in touch with Dylan all day, but they hadn't gotten any response. Ryan had said that he set his alarm early uh, for early that morning, and he was waiting for Dylan to come over, but he never did. At 4.15 p.m., Ryan texted Dylan and told him that his dad was looking for him. Around 5 p.m., Mark went to the marshal's office to let them know that he couldn't find Dylan. He texted Elaine, asking if she'd heard from Dylan, and Elaine immediately was concerned. She called the La Plata County Sheriff's Office and reported her son missing. Immediately, she, her husband, Mike, and Corey left Colorado Springs to drive to Durango. And Dylan, at this point, had not even been with his father for 24 hours, and he was already missing. Mm. So that night, the 19th, the La Plata County Search and Rescue um, and the Sheriff's Office searched the area surrounding Mark's house. They initially believed he might be a runaway, but Elaine was adamant that while Dylan was unhappy that he had to be at his dad's house, he never would have run away without calling or texting her or responding to his friends. And he had worked out with Ryan, like, I can't come spend the night with you. But I'll be at your house at 6.30 in the morning. Is that okay? And Ryan's like, yep. And he set his alarm for like 6 that morning so he would be up in time for Dylan to come over, Mm -hmm. which like broke my heart into a million pieces. It's so precious. Mm -hmm. If if Dylan was going to, quote, run away from his dad's house, he'd be at Ryan's house. Right. He would have asked them for a ride or he something. Or he would have called his mom. Mm -hmm. Like, it just doesn't make sense. No. Searchers were really concerned. So the temperature that night was supposed to drop below freezing. And they think that Dylan's just in like shorts and a t-shirt. I mean, he doesn't seem to have winter gear on. Um, The search coordinator immediately noticed that Mark was behaving strangely. And look, we say this every episode probably. Behavior cannot convict somebody of murder. But just listen to this behavior. He didn't come out of the house once to help search for his missing son. So you've got searchers all in your own, in your yard, and then fanning out from there, and you don't even come out and look. Now, there are times that I know that they tell one parent, you know, somebody, stay by the phone in case you get a call. That's not what Mm -hmm. happened in this case. They expected him to come out and help. He's more familiar with this area than anybody else is. He's familiar with where Dylan would have gone, right? Right. He doesn't come out. Not only does he not come out, he doesn't speak to the coordinator at all. And then when he's ready to go to bed, all the people are still out in his yard searching on his property. He turns every light off and just goes to bed. I'll tell you one thing about Mark that I feel like is fact. It's not just an observation or even an assumption that I've gotten from him. But Mark does not let anything, not one thing, get in the way of Mm, his sleep schedule. That's true. That man will get his sleep in. He's got to get a solid 17. Right. He lives by the the house Mm -hmm. cat rules where he, you know, 19 hours sleeping— five awake, mm-hmm. that kind of situation. Lasagna, I just don't get probably. it. 
Well, now we're Garfielding it, but yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. He's not going to let anything get in the way. He's like, well, didn't find him. Too bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. I looked everywhere. It's like we just got back from the beach, which was freaking amazing, and I had the best time. But one of um, our friends who was there, she couldn't find her sunglasses, and she like looked throughout the entire house. I'm outside by the pool, and I like did a quick scan of the pool, and I'm like, I, I- I've looked everywhere. I didn't. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I've done I didn't all I can them. do. Yeah. I've done everything I can do here today. Exactly. Like I don't know what else. Turns you out I stole me. them. But um, yeah. that's Mark. Yeah, Torella did steal them. I, <laughs> I did not. <laughs> <laughs> they are very similar. But but yeah, I mean, that's I was the mark in that situation. I was like, well, I mean, I've, you know, done everything I can do here. I guess I'm going to hop in the pool. Except for if I was Mark, I'd be like, I'm going to go directly to bed and not give a shit about my own son mm-hmm, mm-hmm, who was missing mm-hmm. on my watch. And he's been here for what? 25 minutes at this point. Oh my point. gosh, yes. So Elaine and the rest of her family get to Durango early on November 21st, and investigators assured Elaine all sex offenders in the area have been cleared. How terrifying is that? I know, like it's supposed to make you feel maybe a little bit better. Like, look, we've, mm-hmm. we've checked all the sex, uh, sex offenders in the area, and you're like, oh my God. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about the sex oh offenders. My God, my God. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, But they've all been cleared and initial searches of abandoned buildings, houses, barns, and sheds. There was no sign of Dylan in any of those things. So they keep searching. Um, Mark is pushing. You want to know how I know Dylan's not in this area? Because Mark says he's in this area. Mark is pushing for the search to center around a large lake about seven miles from Mark's home. And he says, well, look, I've... You know, I've looked around the house. Dylan's fishing pole is not in the garage anymore. And it normally is. Therefore, I know that he would have left the house to go fishing. And maybe he got hurt or got lost. Okay. This is days in, right? And this mm-hmm. is seven miles away from Mark's home. Right. You think he you think he trekked fucking seven miles that morning? Without telling anybody where he was going, without bringing his phone with him, without any of that. And also, you now, days later, you're like, oh, I know where he probably would have gone this lake. Have you gone around that area and searched yourself? Right. You didn't give a shit about it because you've just been napping the entire time. Yeah, he doesn't go look. Mm -mm. He just finally tells them. So he's like, you know, maybe he got lost or hurt. So you think your son could have been out there for days having hurt himself, subject to the elements. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait a minute. I don't know. It's just. Yeah, it's like, if you guys are going to look, which I can't be bothered with, but if you guys ha- absolutely have to look for if my If it'll son, make you feel better to look. Yeah. I think yeah. you need to go look over there. Yeah. So the terrain in this area is very dangerous. The road that surrounded the lake dropped off on a steep cliff that led to the bank of the lake. And again, this is where he says Dylan just would have wandered over there by himself. Elaine, Mark, and Corey were out with hundreds of searchers scouring for any signs of Dylan. And Elaine did her best to remain positive, but it was so difficult. She said that she was like, look, if I lost hope, then other people would too. And she was trying to hold it together so that people would keep looking. I just can't imagine Mm -mm. how that feels. Um, The community held vigils. um, And Mark actually did attend the, the vigil, which I was surprised about. Um, and he got up on like, I don't know if there's a stage or what, but he got up with, you know, in front of the microphone and is talking. 
and says, I hope you all know how much I loved Dylan. He meant everything to me. I really cared about him. My whole world revolved around him. He was really special to me. And then he said, And I know that his mom and I don't see eye to eye all the time, and I wish that we really could. Nobody else talked about Dylan in the past tense. Mm -mm. And it wasn't just like he slipped once and said it. He meant this to me. I did care about him. Yeah. I loved him. Like... He had plenty of opportunities. If it's a slip of the tongue, would yeah. that have happened throughout the entire speech that he gave? Yeah, he was a special person or however he said it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just, I mean, investigators definitely took note of that. 100%. So it's pretty clear from the moment that Elaine heard that her son was missing that both she and Corey thought that Mark knew more than he was saying. Investigators seemed to think the same exact thing. And when the FBI and the sheriff's department first interviewed Mark, they blatantly asked him what he did with Dylan. And of course, he denied knowing anything more than he'd already told them. He said, quote, obviously, it's no secret that I believe Elaine could be involved in this. I don't know how she would do it. I don't know who else she'd have involved with it. But I can't help but think there's a possibility that she had some involvement. Wow, deflection. Um, also, Elaine was over 300 miles away when your son went missing, and you were fucking with him. Mm-hmm. You think it was Elaine? Well, and we'll get into that more. Like, tell me you're a grade-A gaslighter without telling me you're a grade-A gaslighter. Right. Absolutely. So— Mark continued telling investigators that he believed that Dylan had run away because of the problems that Dylan was having with Elaine. But investigators couldn't find anything to show that Dylan had had any issues at home or even with Elaine at all. Mm -mm. The only person that we know he's got that Dylan has a problem with is, in fact, Mark. We can prove that from text messages. And uh, like, there are so many text messages between him and Corey, him and his friends that are like, I do not want to be with my dad. I do not like being with my dad. There are a lot of issues with my dad. Mm -hmm. Nothing about his mom. No. It's just, it's outrageous. So Mark retold his account of the night that Dylan arrived many times to investigators. He said that he'd picked Dylan up from the airport. They'd gone to Walmart to get a few DVDs. Then they went to McDonald's for dinner. And he said that when they got back to his house, they started roughhousing. No, they didn't know what that means. But nobody got hurt. This is not the type of relationship where they just like are wrestling around for fun. Exactly. Like, it's not like they haven't even talked to each other. He hasn't. I don't know specifically that Mark never tried to call Dylan in two months. I know that they did not talk during that time. I have a feeling Mark made no effort, but I don't know that to be true. That's speculation on my part. But you've not spoken to this child in two months. He's been forced by a court order to come visit you, and he doesn't want to be there. He's already trying to set up a sleepover for the night that he arrives. Mm -hmm. That's how much he doesn't want to be around you. And you're like, you know— It's clear that, like, he wants literally absolutely nothing to do with me. But you know what? When we got home, we just said, let's wrestle. Yeah. Let's have fun. You know, my boys do that with my husband all the time. Dad, can we wrestle? We do five minutes of wrestling before bed because we're old and it hurts after a while. But, like, yeah, boys do like to roughhouse and stuff like that. But if if you fucking hate your dad— yeah. You're like, uh, no, thank you. Like, yeah. I, I will go to my room at this point. Not even trying to go there. Exactly. That did not happen. It just absolutely did not happen. Yeah. And they're like, that. you're just trying to cover up something that did happen with, oh, well, we were roughhousing. 
Right. Uh, and I don't think, obviously, Mark thinks that he is being so clever and mm-hmm. so smart. Everybody's buying all of his bullshit, but he does not realize how transparent he is. Yeah. Nobody buys this because no. guess what? We know more about the story than you think everybody does. Mm-hmm. There's no way anybody's buying that. So anyway, on November 28th, the sheriff's office put out a press release saying that Dylan was not considered a runaway. Took long enough, but here we are. So a search warrant was executed on Mark's house where cadaver dogs alerted to the scent of human remains in the house and in the back of Mark's pickup truck. They found blood in the living room, but not a significant amount to indicate that a crime had been committed. Investigators believe that Mark saying that the two had been, quote, roughhousing was to cover up something else, obviously. Mm-hmm. And they administered a lie detector test to both Elaine and Mark. Elaine passed flying colors. Everything's great. Mark, of course, surprise, surprise, failed. Mm-hmm. And they found deception around specifically to the question, do you know where Dylan is? Yeah. And I mean, you know, we have our feelings about yeah lie detector tests because they they there are reasons I mean yeah they're not admissible in court for a reason but it, it is a tool that yeah. investigators use but even if you throw that completely out which you have to because you can't convict somebody on that there's plenty of other information well yeah and I think that that's we uh, I'm including myself in the investigators I guess mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, we as investigators yes we have. There's so many cases where, again, we as very seasoned and um, professional investigators, um, it's not just the one thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not just the lie detector test that they failed. That's Mm -hmm. not enough. It's all of these pieces that when you put them together, you're like, hmm, Mm -hmm. seems like you're fucking guilty. Yeah. It's the totality of evidence. And most cases are circumstantial. Mm Mm-hmm. You're not going to have the smoking a smoking gun, gun in every mm-hmm. single situation, you know. And as as an investigator, that's frustrating. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's I, just how I, I feel. Tell you how how frustrating it is as a, as an investigator, like I am. Yeah. Um. Obviously, we're joking. We're not investigators. <laughs> I don't want to hear any bad reviews of like, well, if they're investigators, then why didn't they know this? No, we're not. We get all this from public information. <laughs> Yes, exactly. We're just we're just joshing you and everything's fine. So <laughs> in a television interview in early December, there was a blanket and pillow on the couch that appeared to have been where someone was sleeping and a cereal bowl on the counter. Mark said that the bowl was what Dylan ate out of the morning that he went missing. And he also said that the television channel that when he came home that morning from his errands, it was on Nickelodeon. But this is on a Monday morning. And on Monday mornings, Nickelodeon plays, (laughs) they play shows that are geared towards like babies and young children. It's like Nick Jr. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, um, 13-year-old Dylan was not watching Nickelodeon on a Monday morning. No, he was not. No. Because he's not going to watch, hey, it's face here. Let's watch Little Bear. Yeah. It's not what, I, I can't see it happening. Nope. Mark said that his problem is Elaine and he doesn't understand why she seems to be the only one anyone is listening to. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Search parties continued, but the snow eventually slowed down efforts, and Dylan's friends and family organized a gathering outside of Mark's house with Elaine, her husband, and Corey holding signs and chanting for Mark to tell police what happened. And Corey even publicly said that he believed his father had something to do with Dylan's disappearance. But Mark continued to tell investigators and the media that he all he wanted was for Dylan to come home. 
Okay. We're gonna um, we're gonna describe some photos here okay. that are gonna be very disturbing. Yep. So please do get ready for that. Mm-hmm. If you can't handle poopy things, it's coming up. Yep. There you go. All right. So Corey firmly believed that his father knew where Dylan was, and so did everybody else. But what's the motive? Why would Mark kill his 13-year-old son, right? And Corey was like, I actually think I know why. So he told investigators about a road trip that he took with Dylan and his father to Cleveland. And while they were in the hotel room late one night, Dylan borrowed Mark's computer. After a few minutes, he called Corey over to look at what he found. So while looking through Mark's deleted files, he found several shocking pictures. I'm going to try my best to describe them. Hmm. There are selfies of Mark. He is wearing women's underwear. He's wearing, like, lingerie. Mm-hmm. He's also wearing a diaper. Yeah. There's four photos that are entered into evidence at the trial. You have one where he's kind of, like, holding the camera, like, up, kind of like an angle that you would take a selfie at. And he's making this, like, I am— Yeah, I imagine it's like in America's Next Top Model when they're like, give me passion. Like he, that's him trying to give it, give the camera passion. And it's very like yuck because he's like yuck. But he's wearing like a pink like lingerie or whatever. And so that's the first picture. And then there's another picture where it's kind of like a close up on the diaper Hmm. around his, his bum. And it appears that he has water shat in this diaper because it it's like exploded everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's poop everywhere. Like how babies have blowouts? Yes. It's like a blowout diaper, like legitimately. Hey, you guys, have you ever wondered about the backstory? Like why we call our dad Miss KB? We have gotten this question so many times. We thought we'd release a little freebie for you. So we recorded a Patreon-exclusive Q&A last year, and be warned, we were outside and there was some wind, mm-hmm. where we answered this question, and we want y'all to have the answer even if you're not a patron. Yeah, so be sure to head to killerqueens.link slash MissKB, M-I-S-S-K-B, and grab the audio. And don't forget, if you want the full Q&A or access to our entire catalog of over 450 patron-only episodes with all our regular episodes ad-free, you can join the Patreon for less than one and a half Starbucks drinks per month. I mean, that's a good deal. It's a steal. It is. It's a steal. You'll get four episodes per week from us, all ad-free, plus anything fun we do like Q&As or literally anything else. So definitely check it out. And not every tier includes every episode. Yeah, we do have different tiers. So just be sure everything's listed out there when you check it out. But in the meantime, be sure to grab your free audio about Miss KB and how he came to be called that at killerqueens.link slash Miss KB. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. There's another picture where it's a close-up of his face. He's got a beard, by the way. A close-up of his face, and there's just poop smeared all in his beard. Mm. And there's one more picture. And he is appears to be licking the poop out of the diaper. Yeah. Now, there is an episode on the A&E app, A&E website. It's called Killer Cases. Mm-hmm. Season two, episode nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and they allude to the photos. They show the first one of what we just discussed where he's he's selfieing and the face and the passion and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then they de- they go on to describe what else you see and they don't show it mm-hmm. uh, for understandable, obvious reasons. Now, I don't know. I'm going to say I'm lucky enough, but I, that's not exactly how I feel. But I'm lucky enough to have a sister who decided to send me all for unedited, not blurred out photos. I got to see all of that this morning. Oh, yeah. I found I found the actual evidence photos that the state used. I found mm-hmm. all the evidence the state used and um, screenshot that shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Send them to my husband, too. Okay. <laughs> if I got to see it, you got to see it. But, like, yeah. what is happening? Like, if I don't, I mean, I don't know. If I don't know, I don't know how I feel about it in the sense that, like, I mean, if that's what you're into and you're not hurting anybody, I guess that's fine. Yeah. Uh, it's very unfucking sanitary. Yeah. Very unsanitary. But regardless, you know, that part is not necessarily the problem. It's yucky. But that part is not necessarily the problem. But Corey and Dylan have found these pictures. Mm-hmm. And they don't tell Mark they found the pictures when they found them. But Corey did take pictures of the pictures, like, on the computer screen. Like, he takes pictures of the computer screen on his phone. So now he has copies, basically. And he tells Dylan, look, don't tell anybody about these pictures. Corey did not want Mark to know that they knew. But unfortunately, and Dylan did keep it a secret for a really long time. But Corey said, you know, if Dylan feels like he needs to stand up and say something, like he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. He can't just he can't just hold something like that in. So the night that Dylan gets to Durango and he's court ordered to stay with his father, 
He texts Corey, and he's like, I'm having an argument with Dad. He said that Mark was telling Dylan that Corey and Elaine were bad examples for him, and this is very frustrating to Dylan, and he's getting very mad, and they're kind of having this, like, back and forth about this. So Dylan says, will you send me in what he called the poop pics? Mm -hmm. Will you send me the poop pics? Because I'm going to show Mark that you're saying that my mom and my brother are a bad example for me, and look at what you are. Look at what you do. Like, he wanted him to know, I know this. Mm -hmm. You're not as high and mighty as you think you are, basically. Right. So Corey ends up sending them not to Dylan, but to Mark, and is like, hey, we know about this. And he says... He wishes he had never done that. Of course, he never in his wildest dreams thought that Mark would kill Dylan over it. Um, But he feels like this is the motive because this, you know, Dylan kind of has this like weapon that he can use against his dad when he really needs to pull it out. And he felt like this was the night that he was going to pull it out and then nobody ever hears from Dylan again. Right. You know? In February of 2013, Elaine, Corey, and Mark all appear together on the Dr. Phil show. I cannot fucking believe Mark agreed to do that. I know. And when asked about what, I'm guessing, what he thought the Dr. Phil being on the show was going to do for him, he was like, well, I just thought Dr. Phil was going to, you know, hear my side and not just take theirs. Or basically, you know what I mean? Like, he's like, yeah, I think he thought Dr. Phil was going to set Elaine and Corey straight. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Spoiler alert, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. So Corey on TV tells his father that he hates him, that he's never been much of a father to him. Elaine is like, you need to do something to find Dylan. Like, I know that you know where he is. You need to tell us. Um, And Mark just kept saying Dylan was everything to him. He was everything to me. He was my whole world. I had nothing to do with anything. I have no idea where he is. And Dr. Phil is like, okay, Mark... (laughs) Um, let's talk about those pictures, okay? <laughs> I kind of went with the South Park and K-Kai, like, halfway. But it's not, it's not wrong. I feel like it works. Yeah. Um, so he's like, look, because now these pictures are on the internet. <laughs> See, now I want to go with the South Park guy, and I'm like, you know, it's it's easy, okay? Um, <laughs> exactly. Just tell us about the pictures, okay? Yeah. Um, so they're on the internet now. Everybody's seen them at this point, and... He asks him, are these photos genuine? And Mark says, no, they are not. He's like, so they're fabricated. He's like, yes, they are. And then he says, you guys listen to this. Okay, if if Mark tells you that somebody, that these photos have been fabricated, your thought is somebody else fabricated them to make Mark look bad, right? And you know why that would be your first thought, because that makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, probably nobody would actually do that. But yeah, that does make well, the yeah, most it didn't, sense. It didn't yeah. happen, but that's where your mind goes, because that would be the most logical argument for him to make, you would think. A hundred percent. Guess what argument he makes, though? He says, <laughs> he says that he knew that there came a time in, in his life where he knew that Corey and Elaine were coming into his house when he wasn't there and rummaging through his things when he was out of town. So he decided, listen to this, in order to prove that they were coming into his home and taking things, 
He was going to set a trap for them, okay? And here's the trap. Poopy pics. Mm. He created the poopy pics himself. He made them. He left them in his home as a trap for Corey and Elaine to steal, which clearly they did because otherwise they wouldn't have gotten out, right? Mm-hmm. Because Mark's not going to release them himself. So obviously, Corey and Elaine broke into his house, stole the pictures that are clearly fake. They're not real. But he made, and Dr. Phil was like, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You're saying they fabricated him, right? That's what you have. That's what we have to be saying. And mm-hmm. he's like, no, 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 no. I fabricated them. That was me. I fabricated them. Make it make sense. So that they would steal them so that I could prove that they stole them. Make it make sense. And Elaine was like, this is when I knew that my son was no longer alive. Mm. Like, I knew it at that point. Um, I mean... You know, investigators talked to Mark again after this interview. They talk about the Dr. Phil interview. They gave him several opportunities to tell them where Dylan was. They even, you know, of course they pulled the, hey, I don't think you're a bad guy. I don't think you're mean. I don't think you've got a mean bone in your body. But, you know, accidents happen. Okay? So if something happened and it was an accident, we can work with that. Just tell us. Tell us where he is. You know, you can ask for forgiveness. You can set it right now. You can't undo a horrible, tragic mistake, but you can make it right. And he he said, he like denied, denied, denied. And then at the end, when they said all this stuff about the maybe it was an accident and you can set it right and we can try to help you or whatever, he's like, okay, well, I will, I'm willing to take all of that into consideration. Mm-hmm. Mm. hmm Okay, so... One area that searchers wanted to cover was Middle Mountain, but because of the time of the year, it's severe weather, it's closed. They cannot do it. But once the snow melted, they would be able to access it. So in April of 2013, Mike, Elaine's husband, said that he had pulled over on Middle Mountain Road while he was heading to search at Vallecito Lake to pee. Mm -hmm. So he saw Mark driving down the mountain in his white pickup truck. And Mark did not acknowledge Mike, which Mike found strange because he's like right in the line of vision, completely obvious to Mark that he's there, but Mark didn't acknowledge him, which I don't know why. this is not a high traffic area. No, it's like there's Mark and Mike, the end. Like that's it. But Mark didn't even acknowledge him. So in June of 2013... The snow had melted, and a four-day search began with dogs, ATVs, people on horseback, and ropes teams covering the area. So while searching, a size 7 youth Nike Air Jordan was found. It matched the one that Dylan had owned and that he had been seen wearing in the surveillance video at Walmart in Durango with his dad. The following day, on June 26th, a cadaver dog alerted to two to two. To you? To two human, human bones. bones. <laughs> yes. So, excuse me, to two human bones. While they were being located, more human bones were found. They found his tattered shirt. Um, it was a black shirt with the Chicago White Sox logo. It was found in the area. They also found a shred of underwear and an earbud. And DNA from a baby tooth that Elaine provided confirmed that the bones did, in fact, belong to Dylan Redwine. Hmm. One of the investigators called Mark to let him know about the discovery of Dylan's partial remains. And she asked, she, this call is bizarre. Oh my gosh. So many levels. 
She calls Mark and she's like, hey, Mark, how are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm just living the fucking dream. Yeah, just fucking living the fucking dream. And he's like, yeah, yeah. like he's slurring. He's very obviously slurring his words. Right. And the investigator is like, are you intoxicated right now, Mark? And he's like, uh, no, but it sounds like he is for sure. He definitely is. So he said, and the investigator is in fact a female. So he, he tells her that women were only good for one thing and it's not cooking and cleaning. I think he means, um, sex. Sex. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So he she she tells him that they found his some of his remains and he was like okay finding 2% of Dylan's remains does not constitute him as being found. Um yes it does. She's yeah. like we we found we found remains and we know we what know, happened to him. We yeah, know we that know he that is that no longer dead. living. Yeah. Yes. He was like well you didn't find all of him so you want me to think that you found 2% of him and that's you finding him? Right. Yeah. We found part of him, which means he's dead. Yeah. And and so there we... The, he's found. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. And Mark's like, that's not being found. You didn't find him. No, he told all kinds of people that. He's like, oh, well, they want me to believe that they found 2% of him, and that means they found him. Yeah, right. Like... What does that even mean? And how do you talk about your son that way? I know. You mean to tell me finding 2% of my son is you finding him? Can you imagine? No. And he, there's not there's not any sadness. Mm-mm. There's not any anything other no. than him just being super dismissive and Yeah. He's like taunting. Well, you didn't find all of him. Call me when yeah. you found all of him and then we'll talk. Yeah, you call yourself an investigator, you found 2% of him. Mhm. Yeah. In August 2013, Mark's house was searched for a second time, and two years later, he was officially identified as a person of interest in his son's disappearance and likely murder. In November of 2015, hikers found Dylan's skull, and this was approximately one mile from where his other remains had been found. And this is a, a like, so one mile as the crow flies, six miles by road. Mm-hmm. The county coroner determined that there was evidence of blunt force trauma to the skull, and it was not from animals. In 2017, a new district attorney was elected. Christian Champagne was a former deputy district attorney who'd been working on Dylan's case for quite a while, and he made it clear that he believed that things were moving too slowly in Dylan's case, and he pushed forward with convening a grand jury. In July of 2017, the grand jury returned with an indictment of Mark Redwine for the second-degree murder and child abuse of Dylan. Mark, who was all this time working as a long-haul truck driver, he was found in Bellingham, Washington, and he was pulled over in his truck and he was arrested. And when the officer read him his rights, he's like, I have no idea what this is about. What is this regarding? They're like, it's second-degree murder. He's like, of who? Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know. Who who could I have murdered? Yeah. I do what? Like, oh, you know, the, the... the thing that we've been talking about for the last... Remember how your son is missing and nobody's seen him and we found his remains and... Yeah. Oh, that one. Ridiculous. So investigators said that they knew that Mark had grown very confident that they'd never be able to bring charges against him, but he was extradited back to Colorado to face trial. The indictment included complaints included complaints from his other wife, Betsy Horvath. The two were married for six years and they had two kids together. And after their divorce, there were issues that resulted in a custody battle because apparently that's Mark's favorite thing to do. 
Um, she felt that it was very likely that he could have hurt Dylan. She said that he once told her that if he ever had to get rid of a body, he'd leave it in the mountains. Betsy also described him as very abusive and said that he would often violate the custody agreement. She said that he even once said that he would, quote, kill the kids before he ever let her have them. Uh, why are we giving this man any custody of any children? Right. Mm-hmm. Betsy, Betsy. Oh, did I just say Betsy? Okay. You, yeah, you did. Betsy expressed her sorrow for Dylan and his family. Um, she said that it really frightened her because it could have been one of her own children. Look, in a custody battle, when somebody tells you that they're willing to hurt children just to make their spouse's life miserable, believe them. Mm-hmm. Don't write that off as, oh, well, he probably wouldn't. But what if he does? Well, and listen, this is like the classic when people show you who they are, believe them. Yes. You know what I mean? Like a lot of times people won't say the worst things that they think or feel. Right. But he's doing it. Uh-huh. And like those, th- I don't know how child custody things work, Um, you know, when there's like, because he's got two ex-wives that he's, you know, dealing with custody with. Those things should be, if he makes a comment like that in one custody case, that needs to be immediately shared with the judge in their other case. Yeah. Like, you need to know that this is a person who's threatening to harm children to get back at his ex-wife. Because why would that not carry over into his other, like, why would he not have those same sentiments in the other situation? Mm-hmm. These children are in danger. Yeah, absolutely. And they are innocent bystanders in him just wanting to lash out and hurt someone that he hates. Mm -hmm. And he's going to take it out on whoever he can to create the most hurt. Yeah, exactly. He knows exactly how to get at Betsy and Elaine. Yeah. Yeah. Mark's trial was postponed multiple times for several reasons, including COVID and because his attorney was arrested on charges of domestic violence and assault. Okay. Oopsie kadoopsie. That, that's not, I think that's bad. Mm-hmm. It makes sense hearing that, that, because his attorney and his, like, closing arguments is like, and we, we are honored to stand beside Mark Redwine and represent him. And do you know why? Because it is an honor to stand next to and represent the wrongfully accused. That comment, like, this just adds a lot more context to that, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Um, In June of 2021, the trial of Mark Redwine began. While investigators would have liked to have charged him with first-degree murder, there was no evidence to prove premeditation. Um, I think that that is the right move. I don't, I don't think that it was premeditated, honestly. I don't think that it was. No. Um, and there's certainly no evidence to prove that. So I just really like seeing when prosecutors don't overcharge and over, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I do think, I don't think that it was premeditated. I agree. I do think that Mark was prepared. Hmm. I think that he knew he had it in him to do it. Oh, yes, 100%. Does that make sense? Like, Mm -hmm. it's not like he was planning to do it, but he was like, if I've got to, 
yeah. to, for whatever reason, I can and will. Yeah, I kind of have it in my back pocket as an option. Right. Yeah. yeah. The prosecution showed photos of Dylan and his friends that were taken just before his disappearance. They showed unanswered text messages from Elaine to Dylan on the night that he arrived in Durango. And in the last one that she sent, she told her son to be safe and that she could come get him if he needed it. Oh, so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Mark's defense team said that everyone was prejudiced against him from the start, blaming it all on Elaine. Here's something that I thought, that's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off. Um, They were like, well, didn't you tell investigators you thought Mark had something to do with it? Yeah. Didn't you tell people on TV? Yeah. Uh, Didn't you tell friends and family that you thought Mark had something to do with it? Yeah. Didn't you... Didn't you make comments on Facebook pages dedicated to arresting Mark Redwine that you thought he had something to do with it? And she's like, I don't remember leaving a comment on that page, but I mean, yeah, I thought he did it. Yeah, I thought he did it. It's no secret. And also, guess what? Hey, pot, this is Kettle. You're black. Like, Mark was doing the exact same thing with absolutely no, nothing, not a leg to stand on Mm -hmm. with it. But he was like, Elaine, actually. Elaine, I, I know she's got something to do with it. She was over 300 miles away, but she did it. Well, and I don't know who else she's got involved in this, you see. But she definitely did. And also, I'm going to go on Dr. Phil and I'm going to say it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He did it too. Yeah. The defense literally just wanted to convince the jury that Elaine had this vendetta against Mark from the beginning. And... That's the only reason that law enforcement arrested him was because Elaine said so. Well, and listen, the prosecutor or the DA, he 100% said it best. Um, Christian Champagne, uh, Champagne, yes. He was like, when when the defense Mm -hmm. tries to attack a mother who has lost her son and tries to attack the character and... All this kind of stuff. We've seen it. How many times have we seen it? We've seen it. It does not. It usually backfires. And thank the good Lord in heaven, it does. Exactly. It does. Just like in Keep Sweet, when Mm -hmm. Warren Jeff's defense tries to attack, um, oh, Lord. Is it Elisa? It is. It is. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. They're like, "Uh uh-oh, big mistake. Rookie mistake. (laughs) Like, that's just not going to go well for you. It's not. Now, the prosecution showed the photos that Dylan and Corey had found on Mark's computer. And they said, they were like, we showed them for a limited amount of time and for a limited purpose. And it was to show that Mark had motive to kill his son. Now, some people were like, okay, but like, just because your kid found some weird, like kinky photos of you, that's not a reason to kill your son. Like, that's not enough motive. Okay, and that sure, I I completely agree with that. But that's not that's not what happened though. It wasn't just that they were found and nobody talked about them again. And then they were like, well, maybe it's this. That, that that's not what happened. What happened was when Dylan got to Durango, something happened. Some sort of I don't even know if you want to call it an argument, but a, a heavy, serious conversation happened where Mark was telling Dylan you have bad influences in Mm -hmm. your life and here they are. And here's why. And Dylan was like, now hang on a second. I'll show you how Mm -hmm. you're a bad influence. That's what happened. So that's why they are relevant. And for most people, being confronted with something that you're embarrassed about or whatever, 
you would react accordingly. Yeah, you would just be like, oh, well, that, you know, that sucks or I'm embarrassed or whatever. You don't haul off and hit somebody over the head with a sharp or blunt object or something. Right. Um, but for Mark, he's lost control mm-hmm. because he doesn't have, like Dylan is standing up to him and saying, you're not going to control me anymore. You're not going to hold this, you know, holier than thou or whatever, you know, kind of thing over my head anymore. Like, I know who you really are. And if Dylan and Corey were to show these photos to the judge, Mm -hmm. could that affect his, you know, anything? Like, he he doesn't want to lose. Right. He doesn't want to lose and he needs control. And for most people, control isn't something that they have to have at any cost, right? But for Mark Redwine, it is. Mm-hmm. So they played the clip from the Dr. Phil episode where Mark claimed that he had planted the photos. And Corey was like, there was absolutely no reason for him to take these photos or plant these photos. There was nothing going on during that time where he would have to prove that we were breaking into his house. And, and mind you, he never reported that to anybody. No, and I'm pretty sure there would have been other ways to prove that someone was breaking into your house and rummaging through your crap than to... And Mark, on the Dr. Phil episode, he was like, it's my face. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but it's not me in those Mm -hmm. photos. He just, what, superimposed them onto somebody else taking photos like that? Exactly. And just put his face on it? Mm -hmm. Why is that the route? Can we set up a nanny cam and a teddy bear? Yeah. To catch somebody going through your crap? Like, I don't... Exactly. Yeah, there's so many other ways to do it. Like, and there's just... I mean, Home Alone-style booby trap them. Like, there's so many other ways. Yeah. This makes absolutely no sense to fabricate such bizarre photos (laughs) just to prove that somebody went through your shit. Yes. Like, come on. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. And the... The prosecutor asked Corey if he loves his father, and he gets pretty emotional about this. And he's like, I mean, I do love him. Like, he's my father. And he's like, I just wish that this is not what we were doing. I wish I didn't have to be here for these circumstances. I wish that none of this was happening, obviously. Mm -hmm. None of it. It is not ideal for Corey, even though he has no relationship with his father, and he does not desire to have a relationship with his father. It doesn't mean that he doesn't on, you know, some deep level, level still love him. Right. Like, it's a very, very complicated thing. And Corey is clearly emotional about it. It's really sad. Right. In order to show the blood evidence found in Mark's living room, the prosecution actually recreated his living room in a courtroom down the hallway. So they had all the same furniture. They had the same layout. They placed blood spots in the exact same places as they were found in Mark's home. But like we said before, there wasn't a significant enough amount of blood to obviously indicate that a crime had taken place. There was blood there, but it wasn't so much that it was like, okay, well, he couldn't have lost this much blood and still be alive, you know? Right. So they did have a crime scene investigator testify, and he said, you know, the defense pointed out well, during your initial walkthrough, you didn't find any obvious evidence of a violent struggle. And he's like, well, no, none that were obvious. I mean, the blood that they found seemed to have been found once they used luminol. It wasn't just like, just straight blood all over the couch. Right. Like, you're not just going to see that 
just walking through. But they really, really honed in on that. On cross-examination, a forensic expert said that while blunt force injuries can result in death, sometimes they bleed very little or not at all. So you could theoretically hit somebody in the head hard enough to kill them and not have blood gushing everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, an instance where that has happened is JonBenet Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Her skull was so fractured The fracture in her skull was deep and wide. It was huge. It was a giant fucking fracture. But nobody noticed that her head even had any injury until her autopsy. Mm. Like, you couldn't look at her and tell that that anything had even happened to her head. Sure. But she had a significant fracture, and there was, like, no blood around it. She could have been hit after she was dead, possibly, but what's the point? Right. But there, I mean, there are fractures that— you're not going to bleed a ton. So, you know, that could still, it's a point for and a point against, right? Kind of right. a little bit as a wash. A forensic anthropologist testified that based on the damage to the skull, it appeared that Dylan had suffered blunt trauma as well as a skull fracture above his left eye, likely with a sharp tool around the time of his death. But the defense said, well, but what about all the mountain lions and the bears and the coyotes where Dylan's body was found? They could have created the damage to the skull. And so the forensic anthropologist had to concede that, no, I can't guarantee that animal activity didn't cause the damage to the skull. They also did have a wildlife expert that testified that, because you know, remember his head was found or his skull was found a mile away from his body. Right. Six miles if you're driving to deposit. Yes, exactly. So, and they had a wildlife expert testify that typically if an animal, because animals do scatter remains somewhat. That definitely does happen. Yeah. But he's saying typically these animals that we're talking about, a mountain lion or a bear, they typically don't carry them that far. It's about a quarter of a mile away. And also during the time that Dylan went missing and was likely killed, the bears would have been hibernating. Mm-hmm. Most likely. So we could we could most likely rule them out. Yeah. But he also said it's not any more unusual or usual to find the skull with the other remains. They're not always found together. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Yeah. It could go either way. So, you know, the defense used that to go to their argument that this, you know, the animals could have caused all the damage. But but here's what the defense did not do. They're trying to, they are trying to poke holes in it, but they're not giving a story that the jury can get behind. And the defense doesn't have to. They don't have to prove anything, right? The burden of proof is on the prosecution. But what did we learn in Casey Anthony's trial? Jurors are humans. They need a story. Their brains want to close the loop just like anybody else's brains want to close the loop of missing information. You can't just say, well, but but we can't say that it wasn't animals. Could have been animals. Could have not been animals, right? That's not enough. What they needed to do was weave a story that says, here's how he got out mm-hmm. here. <laughs> Dylan woke up that morning. He went fishing. And something happened that day. And while he, he was lost, out there, yeah, he sure. 
And then he succumbed to the elements. He took a tumble off of the cliff, whatever. Uh Uh-huh. Animals got to him and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, Like what Jose Baez did with Kaylee drowned in the pool and George covered it up and all the stuff. Like, he had a story that even though it didn't address the duct tape around her mouth. um, But he's a damn good storyteller and people got behind it. Exactly. They need something. They need something to say, well, but that is a plausible story. But they didn't do that. They just said, could have been the animals, could have not been the animals. So, you know, I mean, it's just not enough. One of Mark's neighbors was brought in to testify on that on November 19th, 2012, around 2 a.m., so this is the day that Dylan was reported missing, she woke up to use the bathroom, and she noticed that the outdoor porch light was on at Mark's home, and this was very out of the ordinary. And Mark says he was asleep at this time. And what do we know about Mark when he goes to bed? He turns his porch light off. He did it while the searchers were in his fucking yard looking Every for his son. Every light that he's got is off, yep. yes. The last witness for the prosecution was FBI agent John Grusing. He told the jury about how, on the day that Dylan disappeared, that Mark had taken that long nap while his son had been missing for several hours at that point. Uh, Grusing also said that initially Mark denied that Dylan had any injuries that would have led to police finding blood in Mark's living room. But then later he said, actually, Dylan had a bad cold sore and it was bleeding a lot. I've had a cold sore. I don't drip blood everywhere. I've never seen anybody with a cold sore and they're just gushing blood from it. No. So then Grusing said, okay, fine. Well, we'll check with Elaine about the cold sore too because if he had a cold sore this bad here, he had it when he got on the plane, right? Right. And then Mark said, no, hang on, hang on, hang on. Actually, you know what? I'm forgetting. Oh, oh man, you know what? This memory. That injury was actually me and Dylan. We were throwing a football in the house and uh, busted, busted him up. And um, just the football, just a friendly throwing of the football somehow cut something on him open and he bled from it. So that that's what it was. And he's like, I mean, you know, wildly inconsistent here. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mark decided not to testify in his own defense. I think that was smart. He never reacted once during trial when they showed photos of Dylan. You know, Elaine is breaking down on the stand talking about him growing up and his personality and all these things. Well, and my God, she had to read the last text that she sent to him out loud Mm. and she is sobbing. Yeah. Mark never reacts at all. Mm -mm. And that could be that his defense attorney said, you make no reactions. You sit there like nothing is happening. It could be that. Could. But how do you see photos of, if you have nothing to do with it, And I know that you can't convict somebody on this, but it's just very interesting or very strange. How do you see pictures of your son, who is now dead, who you are saying fell tragically to his death while he was out fishing by himself, and it stirs up no emotion in you? Well, and how a couple days after you can't find him, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, I could, we can go on all day about, and here's why, and also this, and this, because Mm -hmm. he's just a garbage person, but... You are already comfortable with saying, well, I had a great son. I loved him yeah. so much. He's already completely, it It appears to me that he's he allegedly, on. he's completely come to terms with the fact yeah. that he's no longer with us. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, in, in so many cases where the prosecution alleges, you know, we believe that 
like in the Michael Peterson case, we believe that Kathleen found emails between him and the sex worker that he was supposed to meet up with. And we believe that she found out that he was bisexual. And we believe an argument ensued. And we believe that she threatened to leave him. And then we believe that he killed her because of that. None of the, they have nothing to back that up. They have nothing where Kathleen sends a text or an email to somebody and says, listen to what the fuck I found on Michael's computer. Like none of that stuff. We have that here. Mm -hmm. We have Dylan texting Corey and being like, me and dad are in a huge fight and I'm going to fucking blow the lid off this. I'm going to tell him that we know about those pictures. I want you to send them to me so I can show it to him. Mm -hmm. I'm confronting him. And we know that Mark is a very volatile person. Corey testified to the things that he would do to them growing up and that he would try to take the brunt of it so that Dylan wouldn't have to deal with it. Something as small as not putting his plate away after dinner, immediately after dinner, or um, not eating all of his food before he put his plate away and Mark would fly off the fucking handle and make him eat all the food out of the garbage. Mm. We know that he's a volatile person and we have evidence that they were in an argument. And then Dylan is never seen or heard from again. Mm -hmm. That's pretty powerful evidence. Yeah. And guess what the jury decided? They found him guilty of murder in the second, as well as child abuse. Mark, of course, you know, denied that he had anything to do with it. He had made a statement that he'd written to his probation officer, and it was read in court. And he basically said he was innocent. The trial was a sham. Um, This was a phony conviction, a miscarriage of justice, like whatever. The judge presiding said he couldn't remember a criminal showing such an utter lack of remorse and that the community needed to be protected from him. So he sentenced him to the max possible sentence, which was 48 years in prison. Um, He has formally filed to appeal this conviction. And unfortunately, the rest of Dylan's remains and missing belongings have never been found. Mm. And that's the case. So sad. It's really sad. It's so senseless. Like, yeah. And like, if Mark is trying to cover up, you know, he doesn't want anybody to find these pictures by killing your son over it, the exact opposite happened. Because the most people that would have found out about it, if he'd seen this through and owned up to it, would probably be like Elaine, like Corey already knew about it. Maybe Dylan would tell some of his friends about it. He right. might not because he might be so embarrassed about it. But like. But now that like the whole world knows. Yeah. Maybe the judge in his custody case would know. But yeah, now everybody knows. And we've well, all seen him. And here's what I genuinely believe, and these are just my opinions, but I believe that if it didn't happen to Dylan, it would have happened to one of his other children. Mm -hmm. It might have happened to Dylan eventually even, but Mm -hmm. this is not—he would have been arrested for murder at some point. Yeah. I mean, he was just such a volatile— whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, too. Mm -hmm. He cannot handle losing control. Mm Mm-mm. Of the narrative. Mm-mm. And that is, it's disgusting, it's terrible, it's tragic, and it's just plain sad. It's just awful. Yeah. Dylan didn't even make it to, I don't believe he made it to midnight that night or two in the morning or I whatever. Don't, I don't believe that he did at mm-hmm. all. Because he would have, he would have, he would have texted his friend at six in the morning and said, hey, I can't make it. I believe that when people got the last text messages that they got from him at 9.27 yep. p.m., that was that was it. That was it. 
But, you know, let us know what you guys think. Um, find us on Instagram. We're at KQ True Crime. We always do a post for each episode that we drop. Mm-hmm. And um, comment on there. Let us know what you think about it. Let us know. Um, we always have somebody, I feel like, who is, like, from the area. And people who live in the area usually have some really interesting insight Mm-hmm. Um, because they, you know, hear more things like on the local news or whatever it is. So, you know, just let us know. Let us know if you have any insight. Let us know if you have any opinions. Absolutely. But thank you guys so much for listening. We love every single one of you. And we hope that we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. All right, you guys. You know what time it is. Shout out time. I really, really, really want an air horn. Oh. Beer, beer, beer. I know. It's that exciting. These are some of our newest patrons. If your name is on this list, you might be thinking, I'm not that new anymore. It just takes us a little while to get around to them. Um, But here they are. You know, we want to give a Hey Girl thanks to Chelsea McCoy, Claire Palmer, Andrea Farrell, Amber Tripp, Hannah Homan, Laura Doge. I want it to be Doge. Okay. I'm going to pet the little Doge. Oh. Oh. Um, Lindsay Doherty. Chloe Parrish. I can pronounce Chloe now. <laughs> Chloe, she used to pronounce it Chlo if she okay. had to read it. So It is spelled. Anyway. Okay. Uh, Lindsay Buckley. India Cesarego. Sebastian. Katie Jones. Alice Britton. Emily Edwards. Hey, Matt. Jilly but, Bean. Yeah, Jilly Bean. I, I don't know. Sarah Burns. Jolie Carter. Taylor Skinner. Keisha Hardy, Jamie Hampton, Victoria Alexis Lewis, Andrea Lopez, Jesse Whitmire, Hillary V in Tennessee. Hey girl. Uh, Rachel Smith, Mallory Dorton, Courtney Kramer, Courtney B, Olivia Dunphy, Lacey Wright, Caroline Gary, Stephanie Shelton, Mina Doy, Alice Reed. Yep, looks like it. Uh, Jordan Yarberry, Brianna Palladini, uh, Palladini. Yes, I think so. Uh, Ryan Music, he's been coming to Spotify Lives. Hey, Yay. Sierra Smith, Olivia Court, Tabby, Katie Thornell, Colleen E. Lester, Aaron Lee, twenty, Ashley Nicole, Jennifer Lockhart, Morgan Hayes, Michelle. Johanning Mallory Lauer Rachel Foster and Catherine Santo yes thank you guys so much um we also forgot to tell you the formal name of the segment which is fuck your name up so yep. I think you figured that one out on your own yep yeah. so um thank you so much again you know if you want us to fuck your name up join our Patreon uh, at the $10 level or higher and, and we will we will butcher the hell out of it. <laughs> Thank you. We love, love you. you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show.
Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.